I'd like to welcome all of you who are watching online today, and I want you to know just how much I am looking forward to all of us being back together in this room, worshiping our Heavenly Father together. How many of you right now are looking forward to that day as well? If you are, do me a favor. Go down to the emojis on your, where you're watching. Click the thumbs up. Click the heart emoji. Click the like. Whatever you've got there, click it. Let everybody know right now that you are looking forward to all of us being back together in this room. In fact, you know what? Let's take it one step farther. If you're thinking about somebody right now, you're like, man, I can't wait to see that person again. I can't wait to worship with them, why don't you type their name right now in the comments bar and let them know right now, just right now, take a second, type their name, let them know how much you are looking forward to seeing them again. Go ahead and do that right now. Let's just flood the comments, letting people know that we can't wait to see you. I'll tell you, while you're doing that, I want you to know that I uh, sure wish I could look off into the future and tell all of you exactly when this COVID-19 outbreak is gonna be over or how long it's gonna last or how much more time we've got and when we can come back together and worship the Lord. I sure wish I knew that, but I don't. In fact, you have access to the exact same information that I have access to. What I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, I know this with absolute certainty, this too shall pass. We will one day all be back together in this room, worshiping the Lord together, and I cannot wait for that day. I can tell you exactly how I'm gonna be feeling on that very first weekend. When we come back together, I'm gonna be feeling a lot like this. disclosure. Our first Sunday back together, I may not be walking into the auditorium exactly like that, but when you see me, that's exactly how I'm going to be feeling on the inside. But I'll tell you, I'm excited about that day, but it does come with some sadness too, because for the first time in our church's history, and I would imagine this is the same for just about every church like ours, for the very first time in our church's history, we are not going to be in our building for Easter weekend. That's right, Easter is next weekend, and it's arguably probably the most important, the biggest, most significant uh, worship day of the year for Christians. But I don't want you to worry, because we're going to be approaching next weekend with the same level of excitement and the same level of intensity that we would as if we were meeting here um, in person. So I want you to just go ahead and, and make a note. I am not going to miss Easter. I'm going to treat this just like I would if we were meeting in person. I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to pray for my friends. I'm going to talk to those um, that I would like to invite to come to worship with us. And I want you to go ahead and do that. Our, our services are going to be just like normal. We're going to have our Saturday evening service and our three on Sunday morning. But go ahead and be an inviter. People are still hungry. And I could make the argument that people are more hungry for the Lord today than they were last Easter. I think this coronavirus has created a spiritual hunger inside of people. They're looking for answers. And guess what? An invitation to our Easter service may just be the ticket for them. So please come to it with the same intensity like you normally do. That, that's how we're going to approach it. Now, this is, by my calculation, the third weekend of our online services, and this is about the third weekend that most Americans, the third week, that most Americans have um, really started to pay very close attention 
uh, to this coronavirus outbreak. Now, don't scrutinize my timeline. This is just the way I, I see it. It's my opinion. But our decision to go to online services only three weeks ago, it corresponds with our school's decision to go ahead and, and cancel school and to start doing that at home, which is about the same time that many businesses and restaurants here locally began changing the way that they operate, closing their dining rooms, going to carry out only. So from my point of view, it has been about three weeks of this ramped up response to the coronavirus it's been long enough for people to start showing signs of emotional wear and tear because of what's happening in our country. And I'm wondering, are you feeling right now some emotional wear and tear because of the coronavirus? Uh, author Max Lucado, he shares a story about a little parakeet named Chippy one time. Chippy, what a wonderful name for a little parakeet. But he said Chippy had a very, very bad day. It began when the bird's owner decided to clean out the Chippy's cage with a shop vac. And as she's cleaning out the cage, her phone rings. And so she turns around to, to get the phone and, and, and you can imagine what happened next. Zoom, there goes Chippy, right into the shop vac. And when the owner turned around and she realized that Chippy was gone, she, she panicked and she realized Chippy's in the shop vac. And so she rips the lid off the shop vac. She throws it off the side and there was little Chippy laying there in the bottom of the shop vac, covered in dust, gasping for air. And so the owner, she grabs Chippy and, and in an effort to save Chippy's life, she rushes to the bathroom and he's completely covered in dirt and she turns on the faucet full blast and she sticks Chippy underneath the faucet and starts rinsing him off. And when she gets all the dust and dirt off of Chippy, she realizes the bird is shivering now. The, the bird is, is shivering, it's cold and wet and, and she's not sure what to do, but she knows she's gotta get this bird dried off fast. So she grabs Chippy and she grabs her hair dryer full blast, A few days later, the owner of Chippy was asked the question, hey, how well is Chippy doing? Has Chippy recovered from his ordeal? And the owner said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. In fact, Chippy just kind of sits in his cage and stares off into space. I wonder, has the coronavirus outbreak left you feeling a little bit like Chippy? I mean, one minute, you are just uh, whistling through life like nothing's the matter, and the next minute, you are caught up in a whirlwind of stress, wondering what in the world has happened. Well, if that's you, then I believe that the Word of God is really going to speak to your heart today, and I believe it's going to give all of us some much-needed biblical perspective and some great encouragement to all of us. If you got your Bibles handy, would you go ahead and open up to James chapter one? That's where we're gonna be spending a few moments today. And if you have your app with you, if you wanna open up the sermon notes icon on your app, I've got James chapter one listed there as well. So however you wanna find James chapter one, this would be a good time to, to pull that up on your phone or grab your Bible. And while you're finding that, let me just tell you that the book of James was written by a guy named James. Well, who is this James guy? James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He also happens to be Jesus's half-brother. James is also the one that Paul said in Galatians 2.9 that he is a pillar of the church. 
So this is that James, and I think we've got, we should really pay close attention to what this James has to say to us, especially in light of what all of us are, are walking through right now as a nation. But if you've got your Bibles, look at James chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I'll tell you what, if we're just being completely upfront, we read that, especially if you're reading this for the very first time, and it's a verse in the Bible that makes all of us go, are you sure about that, James? Uh, James, are you sure that you were hearing from God correctly when you wrote this down? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. There's no doubt who he's writing to. Brothers and sisters in the New Testament is a direct reference to the family of God. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. These are members of the church. That's who James is talking to. So he's correct in who he's referring to. He's talking to us, but he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Is he suggesting, does he have the audacity to suggest that I'm supposed to be happy when my world seems to be falling apart, is that how I'm supposed to understand this? Am I supposed to be joyful that right now, all across our nation, people are dying because of this coronavirus outbreak? Am I supposed to be joyful that I might lose my job or that I've got friends and family who are being laid off, that the unemployment in this country is skyrocketing? Am I supposed to be happy about those things? James says, trials of many kinds. I don't think that anybody would argue as a nation, that, and especially as we as a church family, are facing trials of many kinds. But was James thinking about the coronavirus when he was talking about trials of many kinds? I would say yes, and I would say no. Now, I don't think that he was thinking specifically about the coronavirus, a worldwide outbreak when he wrote this, but I do think that if James were here today, <clears throat> he would say that the coronavirus does fall into this category of trials of many kinds. You know, specifically, when James wrote about this, these trials, most likely what was the foremost thought on his mind, he was thinking about Christians who were facing massive persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, we read about how Stephen was stoned to death. He was the first Christian martyr. He died because he was a Christian. And right after his death, there was a massive persecution that broke out across Jerusalem. And we read all about that through Acts chapter 8 and 9 in the New Testament. And, and Christians scattered. And this was a very hard thing. This was a difficult thing for Christians in that day. Evangelistically speaking, it was a really good thing because as these Christians scattered to all the surrounding areas, they took the gospel with them and they told everybody that would listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the good news of Jesus began to spread rapidly throughout the whole area. So evangelistically, it was a very good thing. Personally, it was a hardship for many Christians. It's very tough to be a Christian during the days that James wrote this. So his letter, no, no doubt, has something to do with the persecution. These trials are what these Christians are going through. But if you read the entire book of James, if you read every chapter, you, you're gonna see that it's, it's a book that's a lot more than just talking about persecution that Christians were going through. It's really a book about the attitude of Christians in response to adversity. 
Just about every chapter has some great insight from God about how Christians are to respond to hard things. What is the attitude that we Christians should have when we face these trials of many kinds? So from that aspect, trials of many kinds, it includes persecution, but it also includes difficulties. It includes a pandemic. It includes all kinds of things. So let's go back and read it some more. Look at verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So is James saying still that I have to be happy about my difficulties? And I would say no. He's not saying that you have to be happy about your difficulties. But he is saying that in the midst of difficulties and trials, you can maintain a real sense of joy because we know that God is going to use this to do something special. And from that perspective, you take a step back from what we're going through and you say there is still a sense of joy because God is doing something. You know, a while back, I had my car in the shop to have some work done on it. And when I dropped off the car, I was wearing a New Life t-shirt. And the owner of the shop saw that t-shirt. And, and we had met before, but it had been a long time. But he recognized me. He said, hey, aren't you the pastor over there at New Life Christian Church? And I said, well, yeah, that's right. I, I am. And he said, well, do you have a minute to talk to me? I, I really need to, I need to talk to somebody. And so I said, sure. So we sat down right there in his shop and and uh, he talked to me about how he was going through a particularly difficult time in his life. Um, he talked about how he was a Christian, but lately he just hasn't felt much like one. In fact, he says, I haven't really been living like a Christian, not how I was raised. He told me about how his father had recently died. And at his funeral, he was given a Bible that belonged to his father and that he was thumbing through that Bible the other day and he came across a verse that, had, that his father had underlined and he didn't understand it and it sparked something in him. And when he saw me, he said, can you help me understand what was so important to my dad in his Bible? And so we looked at that verse and we began to talk about it. And that, that verse opened up a lot of conversation about the hard things that he had been going through. And, and so I just shared with him this very verse from James chapter one. I said, hey, you know, the Bible says, they were all gonna face difficult things. But we can still face those trials with some joy in our heart. Christians can do that because we know that God's not done with us and God is gonna use that trial, that difficulty, that hard situation to produce something so much greater like what James says, perseverance and maturity and completeness and wholeness where you're not lacking anything. And you know, I was thinking about that, that conversation a while back with that guy that owned the car shop as I was preparing for this message today. You know, as we were discussing this together, did I tell this guy, hey, you know, you should be happy that life is not going well for you right now. Did I, did I say that to him? No. Did I say anything like, hey, this is your lucky day. You know, you need to wipe that sad face off of your face. You need to get a different expression because this is a good thing. In fact, you know, this is so good. These hardships, you should be doing cartwheels and backflips through your shop today because this is how much joy and happiness you should be feeling going through this very difficult situation. Did I say that? Absolutely not. 
Because that's not at all what James meant when he was talking about joy. It doesn't mean that we enjoy painful experiences. It doesn't mean that we just welcome and, and, and find happiness when things are very difficult. It does not mean that we put on this phony smile and we pretend that everything is great when it feels like our life is falling apart. And don't you know that Christians are experts at doing that? Put on a happy face and pretend like everything's great when it's actually not. I tell you, only Christians, I think, have the capacity to understand what James truly meant when he said pure joy. This pure joy that James is writing about is really this overall understanding that God is bigger than our hardships and he has a significant purpose for our lives when we experience them. And I wonder if you know that today. I wonder if you believe that today, that God is bigger than our hardships, that he has a significant purpose for our lives when we experience difficult things. The last thing that I said to that guy in the shop that day is the same thing that I believe that many of you need to hear today, to learn today, or to be reminded of today. It's something that I seem to have to remind myself from time to time as well. It's this. God uses tough seasons to shape you, not to harm you. Let me say that one more time because I don't want you to miss it. God uses tough seasons to shape you, not to harm you. And that is why James says that when we have these tough seasons in life, when we experience these trials, that we are to consider it pure joy. Joy in knowing that God is not done with you. God has not forgotten you. And we need to actually remind ourselves from that because when we experience difficult things, it is so easy to slip into this mindset and to say things like, well, God must not care about me anymore. Otherwise, I wouldn't be experiencing this difficulty. Or we say, you know, God, don't you know what I'm going through? Are you not paying attention? It's really easy to slip into those kind of thoughts. Like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, you must have forgotten all about me. You must not love me anymore. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. He has not forgotten you. He's shaping you. He's growing you. And if you allow him to shape you and grow you as he sees fit, then the result of that trial is gonna come about a sense of maturity and a completeness. There will something is gonna come out of that difficult situation. Now, James isn't the only one to write about this. It's not like James is like, you know, I'm thinking about it this way today. No, no, no. There were plenty of others in scripture that that wrote about the exact same thing. Let me show you what Paul wrote one time in, in Romans chapter three, or Romans chapter five, rather, verse three. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you hear Paul writing about how difficult things God uses them to produce something incredible in our lives? But it wasn't just Paul, it wasn't just James to write about this concept. 
Peter wrote about it as well. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. There's this kind of this idea of joy, rejoicing, understanding something here. That no, thou, no, now for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This current outbreak that we are in, it is a trial for everybody. But it's not the only trial people are going through. I don't know what kind of hardships you may be facing or what you might be experiencing in your life right now before the coronavirus or maybe even after the coronavirus. I don't know what kind of emotions are stirred up inside of you and what you're experiencing in this season of your life. But one thing I do know is this, God uses tough seasons to shape you and not to harm you. In the Bible, there are lots of words there are lots of ideas associated with trials and hard things. Let me share with you some of the words. We've read some of them already, but here's some of the words associated with trials. Perseverance, maturity, complete, genuineness, praise, glory, honor, character, hope, and love. These are all the qualities that God uses trials to shape us towards. See, God's got a very specific reason for why we experience what we do. He's shaping us into something. He's shaping us towards perseverance, maturity, complete. He's shaping us towards a more genuine walk with him. Praise, glory, honor, character, hope, and love. These are things that hard times produce in us if we allow God to do what he does best. If you're to keep reading in James chapter one, look at verse five with me. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You realize that the very next thing James talks to them about after he talks about trials, he says, you need to pray more. That's really the heart of what he's saying. You, you need to pray more. When trials and hardships come into your lives, we need to ask God for what? He says, ask God for wisdom. Pray for it. Why does James tell us to ask the Lord for wisdom during difficult times? Would it make more sense for James to say, hey, when you're experiencing something difficult, ask God for strength, ask God for grace, ask God even for deliverance. When we're struggling through difficult seasons, isn't it our natural tendency to praise things just like that? God, I need you to fix this for me. Help me, God, I don't have the strength to do this. I know that I've prayed many prayers just like that before. God, I need you to step in. God, I need help. God, take care of this for me, please. But James has a little bit different take on this. During trials, hard seasons, pray for wisdom. And perhaps this is why he tells us to pray for wisdom. Perhaps it's during difficult days that we need wisdom more than we need anything else. Why would we need wisdom during a difficult season? 
Is it because God doesn't want us to waste the opportunity of maturing that he's putting right in front of us? Lord, give me wisdom so I know how to walk through this season and I know how to receive the lessons and the qualities that you want me to get through this. I think maybe perhaps that is why James asked us to pray pray for, for wisdom. Lord, in this outbreak of coronavirus, Lord, give me wisdom to understand how to behave appropriately. Lord, give me wisdom to understand how to make right decisions in the midst of chaos. God, give me wisdom that will help me trust you more and not trust anybody else, but to trust you and you alone. Lord, give me wisdom to not give up and to see this through. James not only tells us what to ask for, but he also tells us how to ask for it, that we are to ask it in faith. We are to believe and not doubt. We are to ask for wisdom without doubting. You know, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the the story briefly of of Peter walking on water. Remember, the disciples were out in the boat, and Jesus comes walking out to them on the water, and they cry out to Jesus, it's a ghost, and Peter says, no, 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 Lord, if that's you, tell me to come, and Jesus says, come, and so Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts to walk towards Jesus, and we just looked at the story just a few weeks ago, so let me just remind you, why did Peter sink? It's because as he's getting out there towards Jesus, He starts to look around at all the waves. He starts to look around at the storm and he begins to doubt the reason for why he's out there. He begins to doubt all the things that brought him to this point. He begins to lack the faith that he had to get out of the boat. He lacked the faith to continue the journey on to Jesus. And I think that right there, when Jesus says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That moment right there is a snapshot. It's a biblical snapshot of what not to do during trials and hard times in life. Don't doubt the Lord. Don't focus on the storm. Stay focused on Jesus. Use wisdom here. Ask God to give you wisdom to walk through this and not to look at the storm, but to look straight ahead at Jesus. He is the one that's in control. Because remember what happened when they all got back in the boat? Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus was in control the whole time. One day this coronavirus is gonna be calmed as well. And what position do you want to be in? Do you want to be in the position of saying, I prayed for wisdom and I kept my eyes on Jesus the whole way through it? And I believe that's at the heart of what James is saying. Don't doubt, ask for wisdom, be faithful. Jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James closes this part of his letter with some words that sound very much like his brother Jesus would have said. It sounds like a beatitude. Blessed is the one. You know, we've heard Jesus say things like that all the time in his ministry. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 12 is of great encouragement to me because it promises me a crown. It's another uh, word or idea for award. Persevering through this test comes with awards. Now, the ultimate award is what? Heaven. That's what we get for faithfulness through our life, for faith in Jesus Christ. We get to be in heaven forever. And that would be the greatest joy. If anything brings you joy through this trial that we're in, it's like one day we will all be with Jesus and this will be 
a faint memory. But you know, heaven is not the only award. Perseverance is an award. Perseverance through trials and trusting the Lord, getting through it, it brings maturity. Maturity is an award. It brings about completeness. Completeness is an award. Not lacking in anything, it's an award. I tell you, there's, there's two truths I wanna leave you with today that I, I want you to take with you and let this kind of hover over your week. The first truth is this, and I want you to know this, that nothing escapes God's notice. All throughout the pages of the Bible, it talks about how God has a watchful eye on his children and nothing escapes his notice. I wanna remind you today that there's not one thing with this coronavirus outbreak. There is not one thing about the, the rising unemployment. There's not one thing about the scariness of this season that has escaped God's notice. There's not an emotion that you're feeling there's not a conversation that you've had. There's not a distant thought of dread that God has not paid attention to. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Nothing escapes God's notice. God will see us through. The second thing I wanna remind you of today is this. God is intentional. God is very intentional. And this idea of the intentionality of God takes me to places like Romans eight twenty eight. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you understand this promise? It's one of those verses in the Bible that teaches us about the intentionality of God. God uses all things for his glory. He is a very on-purpose God. I'm reminded of Joseph in the Old Testament. Do you remember that story? Joseph was sold off into slavery by his brothers when he was just a teenager. He finds himself a slave in a guy's house named Potiphar and Potiphar's wife comes after him but Joseph's like, no way, I'm not gonna sin against God. She wanted to be with him and Joseph's like, no, I'm not gonna do that and that gets Joseph thrown in jail. Joseph spends quite a bit of time in jail, but only through the providence and grace of God does he eventually get elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt, and he is the one credited for saving the Egyptians from years of starvation. It's an incredible story, and if you have not read that account of Joseph from the book of Genesis, you should do that. It's an incredible story. But at the very end of it, Joseph's brothers, the ones who had sold him off into slavery, they come looking for food. They have no idea that their brother has risen to such a high leadership position. And they find themselves standing before Joseph wanting food. It's a long story, but Joseph eventually reveals himself and they are terrified. They think Joseph is going to kill them. But then we come to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And Joseph tells us something that is remarkable. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God is very intentional. So we are in the midst of a storm, church. We are in the midst of a great trial. And I know that this is about the time that weariness and stress really set in. And listening to our president and our local leaders, they're all saying that the worst is still coming. And this is gonna be a very difficult season for us as Americans. So let me encourage you today, church. Have faith. Don't doubt. We're in a trial, but God is gonna use this for his glory. 
in your life and in this church, in this country, and I believe in this world. God is very on purpose. Will we stay the course? I believe we will. Can I pray for you? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I'm asking you, Lord, for wisdom. I pray, Lord, you give every person watching this sermon today uh, wisdom, Lord. Lord, I pray you help remind them that you are in control of all things. Nothing escapes your notice. You are very intentional and that, God, you're gonna use everything we're going through right now for your glory. And so, Lord, we do consider it pure joy because you are not done with us, that you are working on us and you are working through us. And, Lord, my prayer is that as we come through this pandemic, that all of us would be more mature in you, that we would be more complete as followers of you, more on fire and whole as faithful Christians. Lord, we trust you. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not the storm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.